Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Basketball is back. BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. Today is December 30th, 2022. Hope that you have a great upcoming New Year's Eve celebration and new year ahead uh, in 2023. We have a um, great episode uh, for you today, and uh, this is going to be episode 48 of season four. This will be the last episode of 2022. So again, thanks for being with us and, and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. We're going to be talking about uh, an interesting phenomenon that's going on, and uh, it has to do with the parting of sports and entertainment content on platforms, uh, which is likely to to result in the rise of cost to consumers. And when I say parting, I mean separating. So instead of having content on one platform for efficiency and for other reasons, we have platforms now looking to divvy up sports and entertainment content on separate platforms, which will eventually lead to higher cost, which really goes to the old saying, which is somewhat applicable about divide and conquer in the sense that in politics sometimes um, and in leadership, sometimes maybe a more Machiavellian way to go about things would be to um, divide and conquer, not necessarily the best way to go about things. uh, And maybe in some senses, um, unethical. But in the business setting, in the sense that uh, you can um, generally separate uh, things, products, content, services to charge an additional fee is not only sometimes for the best and makes it actually uh, more ethical because it makes you more competent or um, makes something um, you know more accessible for um, for people, particularly in the sense that if somebody only wanted to access sports content, maybe they could have that versus having a larger platform with more content. But that all being said, the reality of it is, is that when you split content, it usually means that the price is going up. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in terms of some of the trends in this space for the entertainment media and sports um, streaming platforms and looking at how they're going to divide content on multiple platforms. So, you know, to me, I always felt that the day was going to happen 
when prices on streaming would go up. You know, it, there was a time when you could get Apple Plus for, you know, four or five dollars a month. And then a lot of times if you bought a new cell phone or in some other deal, you would have Apple Plus for a year for free. Uh, Netflix was giving away net um, or sorry, uh, T-Mobile uh, was giving away Netflix for free for quite some time. They may still be offering that. Um, Sprint was offering uh, free Hulu for a period of time. AT&T, when they were a part of uh, Warner Brothers and HBO, um, which is now, um, you know, obviously in partnership with Discovery, uh, they were offering, um, you know, free HBO. But of course, these prices have all gone up, right? And now you're starting to see as the prices have gone up, you have these platforms, particularly like Netflix and Disney and everybody else, offering some sort of ad-based option to lower the cost. So you're taking... Um, you're adding in the inconvenience of commercials, if you will, and and then um, taking away the premium fee that you more, might normally charge for that, right? And, and in some sense, it's sort of, it's sad because you're seeing streamers move more towards the cable model, which was to separate uh, and charge more and um, to go back to the commercial setting. But the... the I think the main you know issue here, and again, I'm not looking at their books and I haven't seen what their financial statements are for a lot of these platforms, but I know that there was um, an argument for quite some time that Netflix was actually a uh, was actually losing money every year because they were spending so much money on content and that it was going to be some time before they actually made that money back. Uh, I think part of it, uh, part of the money sort of coming back and the profit comes from obviously charging, subscription fees. That's why there's such a battle to get um, subscribers. And But there's also this sort of call for going international and looking for subscribers overseas, uh, particularly as there's a sort of a leveling out of, of uh, subscribers here in the United States. But I, I think it's interesting because um, uh, we have sort of this situation, again, where we're moving maybe back towards uh, some of the cable principles. I think the one thing that's different is that streaming is delivered in such a different way and it's so much more cost efficient and it's so much more efficient in general in terms of getting to consumers. And I think as technology increases, and again, as as sort of as capitalism normally works in the market in the in the the um, marketplace, is sort of this idea that you can have, um, let's say uh, if you introduce a new technology, uh, generally the result is, is that the cost will go down because there's more competition and the new technology generally makes something more efficient, right? And that's sort of what streaming was, is streaming sort of offered um, sort of immediate and consistent and almost um, unending on-demand options. Because remember, it was sort of, generalized cable, then it moved into, um, you know, where you had maybe three or four stations, then it grew to, you know, maybe you have 25 channels, 50 channels, 100 channels, then all of a sudden there's these huge cable packages with hundreds of channels. And then of course you have satellite options, which was, you know, thousands of channels. Uh, so, but again, uh, prices would go up um, as um, options sort of expanded. But technology has always been kind of the, 
the um, the equalizer in the sense that you might have a situation where uh, technology causes um, the cost to go down, at least initially. And then eventually it goes up as the company decides to make more money or they need to make more money to make up for cost for content. And that seems to be the case now because a lot of these platforms are looking for content uh, and they're having to pay a lot of money for it, whether it be live sports rights or entertainment uh, content, you know, buying scripts, buying, you know, books, buying rights to things, and then obviously producing those things. Uh, it costs a lot of money. And, and of course, if you've got, as you've got more competition uh, in terms of these streamers looking to purchase that content and have a library of content, uh, obviously there's going to be um, not only uh, an increase in competition, but an increase in cost and, and that sort of thing. So we'll see how this plays, you know, as this plays out. But, you know, again, in the sort of a capitalist environment, generally what's going to happen is prices will go down as there's more competition. Uh, and I and I think this is where uh, potentially the Federal Trade Commission is getting involved in terms of starting to limit some of the mergers that have occurred and, and are being sought out by some of these companies because that means less competition. Now, of course, when streamers entered into the entertainment and sports space, um, again, the technology and, comp uh, and competition drove costs down for the consumers. Uh, but now that streamers like Amazon Prime and YouTube have added NFL, Major League Baseball, and other live sports, uh, there's an article recently in Front Office Sports that was talking about Amazon looking to create a sports-specific app or platform separate from the Prime app uh, which I would think would come with a price increase or, or at least a price for that additional platform, right? Which in some sense is a price increase uh, because you're paying more um, for maybe what you were getting before. Now, albeit you are getting more Thursday night football, you're getting you know more NFL Sunday ticket on YouTube and that sort of thing. Uh, and then obviously on Amazon Prime for the, for the, um, Thursday night football. Uh, but again, I think this idea is that they're going to separate the content to charge more. We'll see if that happens. Ideally, it would be uh, in for the same price. But, um, you know, again, this is a business uh, and these are businesses looking to make a profit and uh, they do have shareholders to to answer to and a board of directors to answer to. But um, that's sort of the case. And of course, this kind of makes sense from a revenue and loss standpoint as a business, because as they're getting into the in this into this idea of purchasing million and billion dollar live sports rights, they can't continue to float those costs, right? They're eventually going to have to make up that money. And the idea is that eventually consumers will pick up the tab to offset the debt, uh, the debt, and to keep stock prices level or at least increasing in value. And of course, as sports continue to grow in online distribution, the cost for such services will increase, potentially be separated uh, from entertainment and other television op options, right? So you might have, kind of like in the cable world, where you had a ton of cable stations, but then you might have to pay more for certain channels. And now really the only difference potentially uh, is that these streamers would say, all right, you can have the generalized platform with XYZ content. But if you want the live sports rights, if you want um, anything additional, you want the premier movies, 
then you're going to have to pay this additional fee, right? And you remember during the pandemic, this sort of got brought about where Disney might introduce a new film and put it on streaming. And HBO did this as well and put it on streaming because the theaters were essentially closed. And then, but they would charge $25, $30 fee, which is what you might normally charge at a theater. And of course, the theaters were up in arms about this because there was traditionally a, you know, a theatrical window that they would follow, the studios would follow, but that had changed because of the pandemic and really because of the advent of technology, you know, uh, that those who, those sort of two play well together in the sense that, um, you know, if, if COVID had hit and things were closed down, but there was no technology to do distribution, um, then obviously streaming wouldn't have been, uh, wouldn't have been an issue. Right. And, uh, either the studios would find another way to distribute those films by mailing them out on DVDs or, you know, what have you, or having them stream online, uh, in a non-platform sense, uh, by logging into some account or something. Uh, but again, technology and, um, and sort of mother nature played, uh, played a part in sort of moving away from the theatrical window for that period of time. But my point in bringing that up is that uh, these sort of sports services will would somewhat work in the same way. You'd basically be charged a premium to watch them, and then people would have an option to um, to get into that. And uh, of course, this is because there's a profit to be made in separating services and having a consumer pay a fee. And you know, arguably, I would say we are in the midst of this golden era of content distribution. We have never had ever at this point, and it's continuing to grow. Um, it's almost like our universe that continues to grow in the sense that uh, we have more and more content available now online than we ever have had before, and it continues to grow. And in, so in, in the sense that we have all of this content online, whether it be television series or films or uh, sports, uh, there's a thought that and maybe a hope, maybe it's a hopeful thought that platforms would avoid the separation of content strategy uh, to um, sort of with the purpose of increasing the price so consumers could access content in an easier fashion. Uh, but again, that seems to be changing um, at the time of, uh, of this podcast. Now, I've thought for the longest time, and maybe again, this is a hopeful thought, that the best platform would always be the one that was number one, easy to access, two, offered for a competitive price, and three, had a wide array of content options, including live sports and entertainment, including new movies, you know, that were premiered, uh, including um, you know, older movies, reruns of series, the whole thing. Uh maybe even better yet, a platform that combined access to multiple platforms. Uh, to avoid what maybe I might call platform surfing as opposed to channel surfing, right? Now, Apple TV serves somewhat of that role, as does Amazon and Roku. Um, but um, I think those options can probably be improved and will be improved uh, down the road. Uh, but it is nice that these platforms are playing well together in that sense, in that they're they're They've bought into the idea, and thankfully that they have, uh, that from a business perspective, uh, your network grows the more access you have to people. And so, um, meaning that 
if you have content on a certain platform, um, your network of that, your distribution of that will grow the more access you have to people. And the way you have more access to people is by putting it on more platforms, right? So this has always been the strategy of where do you put your content? Is it exclusive to a certain platform? Is it not exclusive to a certain platform? Uh, these are obviously big decisions that some of these companies have to make. Now, inside of all this, there are some broader questions that I think we're going to have to consider uh, and the industry will look at in 2023. I think number one is this idea of what Disney is going to do. They um, let go their former CEO, uh, Bob Shapek, and then they've brought in Bob Iger again. And uh, so initially Disney had offered this Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu bundle. If Disney were to sell to anybody, uh, there's there's an idea that um, maybe that that um, might be taken away. Because obviously if, um, if, if they sort of had uh, no longer been um, in, in, um, in under the same roof, if you will, uh, you know, maybe that might change. And that's sort of this idea that ESPN, uh, there was this great article in, um, the Hollywood reporter that talked about, uh, Disney potentially selling either one to Apple or, uh, or potentially ESPN becoming, um, a, uh, uh, an asset that would be sold to another platform. Let's say like, for example, if Amazon picked up ESPN or if Apple picked up ESPN or something along those lines. Um, you know, we'll see. I don't know if in the immediate term, you know, I, I guess I could see maybe Amazon purchasing ESPN um, because they're looking for more sports rights and that would immediately give them access to sports and more um, subscribers. I don't know if Apple would purchase ESPN outright. I feel like uh, my sort of gut tells me that Apple might look maybe more towards Disney as a whole. Um, of course, um, this would be a very, very significant investment. I think MGM sold to Amazon for, I think it was $8 billion. I would imagine ESPN would be worth more than that uh, in the sense that um, MGM does have a large library of content. There's no doubt about that. But ESPN has live sports and live sports have shown to be, uh, at least in this current age, far more valuable. Uh, and this is why, like we talked about last week, you have a lot of sports agencies or sorry, entertainment agencies moving into sports and uh, sports teams having these really high values it really is a phenomenon right now. And a lot of people don't see an end in sight. Um, I think people see it as a continuing to, to grow. Uh, that is until I think people lose interest in sports. If there's ever to be, you know, if there was, uh, you know, let's say um, a natural disaster, God forbid, or let's say that uh, there was a strike, um, you know, obviously, you know, causing um, a pause and sort of play, uh, or if people just lost interest in it, you know, that often happens as people get older or, um, or they just lose interest in sports or they, they begin to focus their, uh, their interest on other things beyond sports, uh, which has happened too. But, um, you know, we'll see, I think either decision is big by Disney, whether they were to sell ESPN 
or whether they were to sell at all. I mean, I think, um, you know, Walt Disney might be scratching his head if Disney were to ever sell. Um, you know, they've always been the buyer. And I I would be surprised if Iger sold to Apple. I think he might sell an asset or two to another platform, uh, but I don't know if he would sell Disney as a whole. And imagine what that price would look like if Fox sold to Disney, which is still um, kind of crazy to think about in uh, retrospect, um, such a huge acquisition for them. If they sold for, I think it was... Um, I want to say it was like 75 or something billion dollars. I can only imagine what Disney is worth now, not only as a company of its own, but then when you add in the Fox assets and ABC and and, um, uh, and Disney, I think we're looking at uh, a far larger price. And, um, and again, I don't know if this is going to happen. This is just some of the, uh, the rumors that, uh, that have been put out there. And uh, and just to confirm, it was a seventy-one point three billion dollar uh, merger. I would imagine that Disney would be worth double that. So um, let's say one hundred and fifty billion dollars. Um, I would imagine that Disney is worth, if not half, if not more, uh, than Fox was. So you know, one hundred fifty dollar, one hundred fifty billion dollar acquisition would just be a huge takeover. But again, we'll see. Um, you know, this is Iger's second run at the uh, at the role of CEO um, with the role of CEO at Disney, and and we'll see sort of where this takes him. But it is interesting because Disney will play a major uh, part in who the next big um, major entertainment, media, and sports players will be. So, for example, if Disney were to sell or buy anything, it would either make Disney bigger or smaller, and the other person that bought them they sold to smaller or bigger. Um, I think the hope overall is, is that as platforms look for growth, uh, their leaders and developers also look for opportunities to collaborate, increase efficiency, and use technology to lower cost. Uh, and of course, I think anytime you have competition and new technology, you're going to be able to lower cost as well because you don't want to price people out. But, um, you know, you want to be able to find that balance, um, you know, obviously between... Um, between sort of purchasing content and selling content. But again, folks, uh, that's the show for this week, um, talking about the parting and or separation of sports entertainment content on platforms and how that likely means rising costs for consumers unless there's an increase in technology and or competition. But thanks again for uh, listening in. The show has been brought to you by Bet Online, And uh, thank you for making us the uh, number one sports law podcast in the world. And we'll uh, obviously look forward to being back with you in 2023. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, this is your host, Jeremy Evans, the host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast on the Believe Network. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.